following message is by Eugene Ahn of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. morning. How are you? As I was preparing this message and thinking about suffering, right, I live in, now I live in Schaumburg, Illinois, and when I think about suffering, this is what, I, what came to mind. It's when Comcast internet goes down. That is serious suffering. Or when the electricity goes out and all of a sudden you have no power and you're depending on candlelight. Suffering to me is going to a buffet and gorging myself so badly that I'm struggling to leave the door and I'm just overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, I ate way too much. Suffering is forgetting to charge your iPhone the night before and you wake up and oh my gosh, I have no time, I don't have a charger in my car. Or the, probably the most recent suffering for most Americans is that you ordered the iPhone 6 Plus and you got iPhone 6. Come on. But when I read in the Bible, when it talks about suffering, listen to what Paul says. He just gives us a glimpse into his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. Far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." And I read that, and I will give you the honest truth from my heart. I am so grateful. I'm not experiencing that. I read that, and I'm like, I, it's so foreign to me. The last time I got spanked was years ago. And this guy is getting beat up on a weekly, daily basis. But this suffering doesn't mean it doesn't occur today. It may not happen in the States. But we know, we hear about the testimonies in Sudan Pakistan, India, where Christians are being martyred, Christians are being beat up, Christians are suffering massive persecution. So what about us? What about us here today? We can't identify with this suffering, but I know that we endure suffering as well. And I think that our announcements, even Phil sharing about Alex's situation, our kind of suffering catches us by surprise. We expect life to be hunky-dory, just everything going along as we expect it to. But then you find out there is a mass. And it, it comes out, the biopsy comes out, it is malignant. Just like the Zimmers, they just found out their mother-in-law is in stage four. This kind of stuff that just guts you, punches you in the stomach, and you're not ready for it. 
We experience suffering where car accidents kill loved ones. We experience suffering when our world comes crashing down, something that we did not expect happening to us. And I think all of us can identify with that. We can all identify with that moment where we're expecting life to go a certain way and it totally does a 180 and we don't even know what to do and it catches us off guard. How do we prepare for suffering? My grandmother, about seven years ago, I mean, she was in her 90s, and I know she was, it's like, you know she's going to pass away, you know it's going to happen, but when it does happen, I just wasn't ready for it. I got the call three in the morning, it was just before Josiah was about to be born, and I found that my grandmother passed away, and even though I teach the Bible, I read the Bible, I'm in prayer, when it happened, it messed me up. I had not experienced anything like that before. How do we prepare for suffering? Second Timothy, this book that we've been going through, it's a letter from a father to a son. It's Timothy's spiritual father. He's writing to his spiritual son. My son, he celebrated his seventh birthday this past Monday, and my wife and I, we set up e email accounts and um, And I emailed him on his birthday. And you know, you write the like, oh, it's so crazy how much you've grown. You know, you write the like, you know, the fluffy stuff. And, and like, oh, I'm just really so thankful for you. And then, I don't know, out of nowhere, I just begin pouring out my heart like, God is the best. I mean, you have to live for him. And my greatest prayer for you is, and it turned into like this four paragraph essay. I press send and I'm like, well, he'll get it one day. And that is what 2 Timothy is. It's Paul's blood, guts, love being poured out to Timothy and telling him, son, I want you to be prepared for the ministry. I want you to be ready for this. And so 2 Timothy, it begins with Paul expressing his deep love to Timothy, encouraging, fan into flame the gift of God and reminding him that what you're doing, it's not you, Timothy, But God has given us a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. That God is doing this in you. And then Paul begins to explain why he does what he does. Second Timothy 1, 9-11. Not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. You see, Paul, he encountered Jesus in such a powerful way on the road to Damascus. As we were going in the book of Acts, we went over his testimony. It so radically changed him when he met Christ that he gave his life to share this gospel message anywhere and everywhere he went. He was willing to live and die and suffer for this. And this gospel truth is this. We can be reconciled to God Pastor Reggie was alluding to it, that we can be reconciled to God, not because of anything we've done, not because you've been a very good person putting your offerings every Sunday, or you've never killed anybody, you've never done drugs, not because of any of those things, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ. He died for you and for me before we even knew him. And he invites us to forgiveness of sin, to a relationship with him, and eternity 
with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is the gospel message that Paul was committing his life to, willing to live, die, and suffer. And it brings us to our passage today, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Let me read this for us. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And when you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And I'm just going to break it down real quick, is that this charge, Paul is giving Timothy three very clear charges. And we are going to go through each one, but I'm going to go through the first two very quickly, and we're going to park in the third charge, which is talking about suffering. So I want you to know, we're studying the Bible today, Amen. And so we're going to be walking through it together. You're not going to miss anything, but we're going to, the meat of the message will be in the third point. So charge number one, empowered by grace. And he says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. His first charge is this, be strengthened, be empowered by the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. And I alluded to this earlier, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. I'm just going to read it for us. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. That this was the very power of the ministry of what Timothy is going to be doing day in and day out. That it's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that he's able to do it. Now you may be thinking this, well, I'm not a pastor. Well, this, this doesn't really apply to me. But I want you to know Paul is not simply speaking to Timothy, but the word of God is speaking to us today. That you and I were never meant to try and live this Christian life on your own grit, your own ability, your own strength, your own tenacity. How are you going to do this loving your neighbors that you totally despise? How are you going to forgive your spouse for doing the same thing over and over again to you? How are we going to endure suffering? And I'm going to tell you the truth. You don't have it in you. I don't have it in me. You and I, if we try and live this out on our own strength and say, I can do it, I'm able to do it, you're going to fail miserably. It was never meant for us to live this life on our own strength, our own ability. But like Paul is telling Timothy, be empowered by the grace of Jesus Christ. Now we have a great example here. Paul shares about the thorn in his side. In 2 Timothy's chapter, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 12, 8 through 9, he says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, and he's speaking about a thorn in his flesh, a, a metaphorical thorn, not a literal thorn, but a thorn in his flesh, that it should leave me. But he said to me, and this is Jesus speaking to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus is teaching Paul, taking him to school and saying, it's not by your own ability you're going to do this. But when you are at your weakest, when you have nothing in the tank, that's when my grace is perfect for you. That is when my strength comes in loud and clear. Have you had a moment like that this week? How was your work week? I know for my work week, there were some mornings I woke up and I just said, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. My schedule was crushing. I had other things I had to take care of. And I remember just the grace of God and leaning on that. Think about it this this past week. How were you? Were you trying to just muscle it through and say, you know what, God, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it. And you feel yourself not doing it and you just give up. No, it's not meant for you to do it on your own, but by the grace of Jesus Christ and looking to him. Let's look at this one more verse, Philippians 4, 12 and 13. And it's a very famous verse in youth group. I know we just went through it, but I want to bring it to our attention here together. Paul is telling the church of Philippi, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul knew what it was like to not know when your next meal was going to come, not know if you were going to be safe, but he knew also that this power was coming from not himself, not his experience, not his wisdom, but it was coming from Christ alone. And so, brothers, sisters, I'm encouraging you this morning. If you've been trying to just say, I'm going to gut it out and do it on my own, I'm here to tell you, stop. Stop. Depend on him this morning. Give yourself to him this morning. Paul understood this truth deeply and profoundly, and he wanted this truth to be carried on in his son in the ministry. And I believe that today for us too. It's not meant for you and for me to just carry it on our own, but depending on the grace of Jesus Christ. The second charge is this, entrusting this gospel message to other people. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul was a missionary, and he went from city to city to city to city. He never stayed anywhere very long. And so when he went, he preached the gospel. They were converts. He discipled them, and he entrusted this message to them. And then he would leave. Imagine Dr. Steve, Pastor Reggie, myself, We're no longer at the church. But that's entrusted to you to continue on the gospel message here, wherever our building is going to be at. That is what it means to be entrusted with the gospel and to entrust other people with it. And I just say this because Paul wants Timothy to do this, not just for himself, but it's really for him to expand and grow the kingdom ministry. And I felt convicted as I, as I was reading this part and just entrusting to others. I just felt 
compelled and convicted through this and, and just thinking about children's church. And, and I know that a lot of us in this church, we serve in so many ways, and I'm so grateful for that. And the children's church, they're always, I don't know if you ever hear Jay, but every year she's always asking for more teachers. And I want to say that the women, they have been so fantastic. Thank you for stepping up. And I just want to encourage the men in our church, and I know this is sort of a tangent in our, our message here, but, but that don't be intimidated by craft session and by snack time but that we can be entrusted with the gospel to teach others. That's the first ministry I ever had. I taught second graders. I had no idea what I was doing. But I want to encourage us as the body of Christ that it's not, children's church is not just a female thing, but that God has entrusted the gospel to us men as well to entrust to others and teach the next generation. I'm off my soapbox. Let's continue on. Charge number three, sharing in suffering. Now, this is where the meat's at. Okay, we had the appetizers. It's time to eat. Here we go. Charge number three, sharing in suffering. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Sharing and suffering is just such an important word the way he places it. Because what he's trying to tell Timothy is, I don't want you to be surprised, okay? But this is our heritage, This is the family heirloom I'm giving you. I am passing down to you what every other person that's followed Christ has shared. It started with Jesus. It went to the apostles. I am passing it on to you. Share in the sufferings. It's like Timothy is being welcomed into the club. You get to suffer for this message of the gospel. Share in suffering. In every generation, this has happened. And so he says this, share in suffering. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. I'm going through a lot of scripture here, I'm sorry. Philippians 3, 8 through 8 and 10, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me of his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Have I hit it home yet? Y'all going to suffer. This is a guarantee. This is not maybe. This is not if it happens, but when it happens. This is our heritage. This is our lineage. This is what's going to be happening in our lives. Even Peter said it like this, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Sharing and suffering is part and parcel with the gospel. And there are always two responses to suffering when it comes. We can either respond walking through the suffering and submitting to the Lord 
being trained by the suffering and having the eternal perspective of the suffering or, and I know you've met this person, when they go through suffering, they become embittered, angry, hateful towards God. They say things like this, God, why would you do something like this to me? I go to church every Sunday. I do everything right. Why would you bring this suffering on me? That may be you this morning. You may be going through a trial or something that you're suffering and wondering, God, why did you make me go through this? And I believe this message is for you today. Paul gives three metaphors for suffering. And the first one is a soldier. And entitled Submission in Suffering. 2 Timothy 2.4 says this, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, when I first read this, I was very confused. I was confused and I thought, civilian affairs, like my civilian affairs is like going to Costco and Walmart and, and watching my television shows and going to the restaurants. I'm like, is that what the Bible is telling me? Like, I shouldn't do those things anymore? And so I began to think of a soldier. And when you think of a soldier, and I know I, there are some soldiers here. I'm going to give you some ups. But most of us here, we haven't enlisted, okay? And so what they do, when you get on the bus, you enlist, you get on the bus, and you get to boot camp, first thing, you line up. You get new clothes. And then you get a brand new haircut. And everybody shaves their head. And all of a sudden, you're no longer an individual doing your own thing. You're like, hey, I got these clothes. I look so Everyone's wearing the exact same thing. They look the exact same way. And you say the exact same thing all the time. Yes, sir, drill sergeant. And they're falling in line. It's a removal of personal identity. You're becoming part of something. And you're, be- you're going from a civilian to a soldier. And this is what happens. Your life is not commanded by your own desires, but someone above you. You are no longer your own master, but you are now being mastered by someone else. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 9, it says this, and we read this early. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me of his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before he began. And Paul is reminding him, you're not your own person anymore, but Christ has invited you Invited you to eternal life. And so no longer do you say, I have my own rights and I'll do my God thing on the weekends. But now we are falling in line with Christ and what he wants for us. So what does it mean to be entangled in civilian affairs? It's this. Soldiers can't have a personal agenda. You can't be out on the battlefield and be like, well, I have a doctor's appointment in 10 minutes. I got to go. You can't be on Instagram and saying to all your friends, check out what I'm doing. You don't have your own life anymore. You're in the army now. And that's what it means to be entangled in civilian affairs. It's not about you anymore. But you've enlisted and Christ has called you. Elizabeth Elliot wrote this uh, novel. It's called No Graven Image. And I wanted to share this story. The story is about Margaret Sparhawk. And Margaret Sparhawk was a single woman, and she dedicated her life to translating the Bible 
in the far reaches of Ecuador in a language that's never been translated before. And as, as Margaret is going along, she, she finds a tribe and she meets a man named Pedro. Pedro is the one man that can translate the Bible into this, uh, into this tribe's language. And so she gets together with Pedro, and she's so excited, like the, the dream is coming true, the Bible is going to be translated, you know, this mission thing is coming out great. And so one day, as Margaret is going to Pedro's house, she's just thanking God and just saying, God, thank you so much for the financial support. Thank you for the support for my family. Thank you, God, for Pedro. I mean, this is perfect timing. I just can't believe it. It's great. And as she enters into Pedro's house, she sees Pedro on the floor with a cut and an infection, and he's writhing in pain. Margaret's a missionary, and she's got medical supplies, so she just says, you know what? I'm going to shoot him with penicillin. He'll be fine. Pulls out the penicillin, injects him, and now Pedro begins convulsing. He is allergic to the penicillin, and everyone is going crazy, and they think, this woman's trying to kill Pedro, and now Margaret is screaming at the top of her lungs in prayer, saying, God, I've never prayed like this. Please heal Pedro. Please save him. Rescue him, and Pedro is writhing and writhing until he stops moving, and Pedro dies, and as Pedro dies, the mission dies. The Bible translation dies, and the story ends. And I'm going to tell you, this novel caused such a stir in the evangelical circle. They said, how can you write a story like this? God would never do something like that. And Elizabeth Elliot said, this is my life. This is what happened to me. And listen to what she says here. The graven image, the idol of the title, was a God who always acted the way we thought he should. Or more to the point, he was a God who supported our plans, how we thought the world and history should go. That, a God, that, that is a God of our own creation, a counterfeit God. Such a God is really just a protection of our own wisdom, of our own self. In that way of operating, God is our accomplice, someone to whom we relate as long as he is doing what we want. If he does something else, we want to fire him. Or unfriend him as we would any personal assistant or acquaintance who is insubordinate and incompetent. Do you see what she's saying? She's saying that when suffering comes and God does what we don't expect him to, we get up in arms. We say, what in the world? Why would you do something like this? The evangelical cir circles, when they read that story, no graven image, they're like, God would never do that. But don't we do the same thing to God? We have laid out our ducks in a row and say, God, I'm doing this. Will you please follow me? And the moment that God, you're planning to take the right turn, God goes left, you're like, what's up? How come you're not doing what I want you to do? And we begin to shake our fist and we're angry. We can't get over it. But let me tell you that when we suffer as the soldier, we are submitting to him. I didn't say it was going to be easy. I didn't say that you're just going to be like, oh, sure, okay, whatever you want to do. But when the suffering comes and he does what you totally not expect him to do, 
that you would entrust yourself into his hands. Say, God, I trust you. I don't understand a thing that's happening right now, but I trust you. I'm going to follow your lead. It hurts. I'm crying. I'm devastated. For me, when I was thinking about this, you know, for, for me, I never really think about things like this, but if God were to do something that I totally didn't expect, I, 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 it, it's almost scary to think about. But this morning, we're preparing for that moment. We're preparing for that moment we get the worst phone call of our lives. That we lose a child or something happens that we just did not expect. We're preparing to say, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. Suffering as a soldier, submitting to the suffering and submitting to our commander and master. For the athlete, trained in suffering. Paul was definitely a sports fan. He definitely loved the games, and he loved watching athletes compete. And listen to what he says, 2 Timothy 2.5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Here's another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize, so that you... So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Romans, 3, Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As we know, athletes, when we look at Olympians, they are in the greatest shape, and they are training and training and training and willfully suffering willfully putting their body on the line to win that gold medal, to win the wreath, to win that prize. They're suffering and going through that training. And in the same way, Christ is calling us as we suffer, not to see it as it's like, okay, I'm just going to go through it, there's no purpose to it, but that there is a purpose in the suffering. There is a reason why athletes train so hard. I was thinking about Usain Bolt, right? He holds the world record. He runs the 100-meter dash in 9.58 seconds. That is 109 yards for football fans. Think about that. You're training to run less than 10 seconds, and he is training days, years, hours, sweat, tears, blood, everything. And that suffering that he puts himself into, he is preparing for that moment. Suffering never happens for no reason. There's a purpose. Do we always know what it is? No. But God, there's a purpose in it. I want to share this morning, I was a little bit hesitant to share about this, but in 2009, I ran the Chicago Marathon. And I'm not here to boast and brag about it and say, oh my gosh, because look at me. I mean, obviously, I have not run in a while. But 
What I'm trying to say this morning is that it all began like this. When I first started running, I was working out at Abbott, and there was this woman, her name was Carmen, and Carmen lost 100 pounds. I, she showed me a before picture, like, oh my gosh. And she's like, Eugene, you should run a 5K. So I'm like, well, three point, I, okay, I'll give it a try. Cynthia and I, we signed up for the Wrigley, race to Wrigley, and we did a 5K. It was like Arctic temperatures, and we took our... I think it was like three months old. We took him out for the run, and I'm sure everyone judged us, but we still did it. And we ran the 5K. I'm like, oh, man, that wasn't so bad. I saw Carmen say, I ran the 5K. It was cool. She's like, you should do a half marathon. I'm like, what? 13 months? Nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Said, no, you should try it. And so, you know, like when someone puts something in your head, you just start thinking. I'm like, well, I'll give five miles a try. I run the five miles, and I'm like, okay, well, let me just try seven. Seven. And I'm doing this on my own, I tell Cynthia, like, I'll leave it, like, four in the morning, like, all right, I'll be back later, and I'll just go for a run for hours, and I'll be back, you know, and, and so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna put my money down, I'm doing the half marathon. Once I put my money down, I'm doing it. I'm not gonna lose money, I'm gonna go do it, and so I put the money down, the half marathon day came, it rained the entire time, and I will just explain to you, not in detail, but there is chafing beyond understanding, and so as I ran that 13 miles, I suffered, man, but I finished, and I couldn't believe it. And so I go to Carmen. I'm like, Carmen, I ran the half marathon. You should do the marathon. What? Stop it. Don't talk to me anymore. And I was telling my wife, I'm like, you know, Carmen, you know, she told me to run the marathon. This is crazy, right? She's like, you could do it. I was like, oh, man. And so February came around, Chicago Marathon opened, and I'm like, I'm going to put my money down. I know if I put my money down, I'm going to do it. It was like 100 bucks. I don't know how much it is anymore. But I put it down. Like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? And then began the regimen of training. I bought a book, Hal Higdon's Marathon Guide. And this thing, I, if you told me five years before I ran the marathon, this is going to be a cool book, I, you, that's, that's just dumb. I'm not into that stuff. But I'm reading this book, the diet, the regimen, how many miles, and so I remember running my first 15 mile, and I was doing it on the lakefront, and I was at Montrose, and I went all the way down to the museum, um, to the museum campus, and I was just looking like, oh my gosh, you know, and that suffering that I was going through, that it was building towards something. The first time I did a 20 miler, I was just like, what is going on? This is crazy. Now, I'm not going to tell you I did it fast. I was not fast. I was gone for a long time. My wife probably worried about me, but I, was, but I still did it. And so going through the 20 miles and just, man, that training is crazy. And so the day of the marathon comes, and it's just a wild scene. Like, you see this? Like, I am in, I'll give you a laser pointer. I'm like way, way back there, you know, because I'm like, I'm going to probably just finish towards the end, and, and all that suffering, all that training for one moment on one day, and I'm just going to flash this really quick. I'm not lying. This is my time, six hours, 17 minutes. I want you to know that they closed the marathon at seven hours, and when I was finishing, this guy screaming, hurry up! They're closing. You got to hurry up! And so I'm like, oh, man, I'm almost done. Okay, I'm going to take it off now. I'm, I'm, I don't want to look at it. But that all that suffering, that there was a purpose. It was growing me, whether I liked it or not. I didn't like it, but it was growing me and growing me. And I became a person that I never thought I would become. That was 2009, okay? Don't judge me anymore. 
But I want to say this, that the athlete, they train and they suffer for a purpose. That we can grow in this suffering. That we can grow in it. Listen to what Tim Keller says here. I love what he says. So suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It is not only the way Christ became like and redeemed us, but is one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. And that means that our suffering, despite its painfulness, is also filled with purpose and usefulness. That God is doing something even in the midst of your suffering. When your worst nightmares come true, I know you can't imagine it, but God is doing something through it. And he wants to bring glory not to you, but to himself. That through that suffering, you can say, God is great, and God is amazing. And because we're on this athletic tip, I wanted to say this. I love this line from Tim Keller. And the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into somebody gorgeous. What? You are spiritually hot. Like, that's, that's cool. I like that. When I read that, I'm like, I want to be spiritually gorgeous too. And so as we go through that suffering as the athlete, God is be making you into a person that you never asked or imagined, but he's doing that work in you. Now we come to our last metaphor, and it's the farmer. And this is perspective in suffering. Read this verse here. 2 Timothy 2, verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The farmer, as many of us do not know, they break their backs. Plant, getting this, getting this, the soil ready, breaking it up, getting the seeds out there, watering, fertilizing, preparing, preparing. And as they are breaking their backs, they're not just hoping in this one moment. But their mind is on the harvest. They're thinking, I am going to work hard. I'm going to do all this stuff, but I'm waiting for the harvest day. And I'm going to suffer and do the hard thing now, but there's a great day coming. There's a great day coming that will make all these things worthwhile. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal." That there is a place beyond this, amen? I know we struggle. I struggle with remembering that. But this is not our final destination. That all the suffering, all the hellish things you may be going through, I want to encourage you and remind you a great day is coming where all that suffering is going to be made right. All the evil things that may have been done to you will be made right in Christ Jesus. Amen. So let your mind go there. Think about that. Eternity, that there's a great day coming. Romans 8, 18, For I consider that sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's something so great, a treasure, a place beyond this place. 
I was listening to This American Life, and I know I've shared about this, but they're um, showcasing a story about this man. His name is Andrew Forstafall. I'm sorry if I butchered his name, but Andrew was a young guy out of college, and he just didn't know what he wanted to do with his life, so he walked across America, and he brought a tape recorder and just asked people, what kind of advice would you give to me as a young man? And so as he went along and, and walking, he asked all these different people, and they showcased it, and there was this one woman that really stuck out to me. And her name was Emma Lou Daly. And Emma Lou was just sharing about stories of the pre-civil rights days when things were really brutal for African Americans. And she, she, he asked her about this story. I'm going to share a quick excerpt from it. But I want you to know there is a, a racial slur used. I, I silenced it out. But she uses this just to tell her story. So let's listen to it. It's only a 50-second clip. So what do you what was it like back back in the old days? Oh God, honey, it was scary. I I, I never will forget. We picking butter beans and helping you pick the vegetables in the garden for a white man. And the wife told us to go bring in some water. And we got the buckets and out the kitchen and went sailing through the hall to the well. Got the buckets full. And when we got back to the steps, he said, "Don't y'all come back up them steps." Going around the house with that water to the kitchen. And we say, yes, sir. Now, what do, you, what do you think about those people who are so mean and hateful? What, what, what do you feel about them? I, I, I feel like this. They, don't, they ain't looking for a great day. I'm looking for a great day when I see my Jesus face to face. For many of us, if we experience anyone say any racial term to us, we're... We're going to, hey, we're going to, we're going to blows, man. But this woman, her hope was not in this life. Her hope was not here. And she could have grown up bitter, angry, hating all people and just saying, you know, I just can't stand them. But she submitted herself in that suffering to the commander that called her to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your enemies. And she endured the suffering, and it grew her into this beautiful woman, and she placed her hope, not in this place, but in the great day. Those people, they ain't expecting a great day, but I'm waiting for that great day when I see Jesus face to face. Let that be your hope this morning, as you are going through suffering, that you are submitting to God the Father and trusting him and saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you, I trust you, and that this suffering that you're enduring is not for no reason, but he's growing you and making you into a person that only he could make you, and that this suffering, let your eye be on the prize, be on this place. Let your heart go there this morning, because here it is so short and the suffering is so great, but there it will be no more tears, no more pain. No more suffering. And that our hearts can go there and hope and rest and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray this morning. This morning you may be going through suffering. You may be going through stuff that people just don't know about. And I want to encourage you, be empowered by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him be your strength when you have no strength. Let him be the words that you can speak. Let him be 
your everything during this time of suffering and submit yourself and just confess with all your heart, I don't know what's going on, God, but I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you as God, the sovereign one. And know that this suffering be trained by it, that he's growing you. He's growing your faith and that your hope, your trust, your love for him would grow. But let your eye be on eternity with him, waiting for him, waiting for that great day when all the wrongs will be made right. Brothers and sisters, let our hearts go there this morning, submitting ourselves to him. Let's go to the Lord and pray and submit ourselves. Give our hearts to him this morning. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never surrendered your life and say, Jesus, I trust you. I entrust my life into your hands. I invite you. All of these promises that I shared this morning, it is for those that have placed their faith hope and trust in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for your sin and paid your penalty and has given you the gift of eternal life and friendship. And if you want that this morning, you can submit yourself and just say, Jesus, forgive me of all the sin that I've done. I give you my life. I want to be in eternity with you forever. And this morning, if you've been walking as a believer and you know that message, what I love about the gospel, it is not the ABCs, but it is the A through Z. It is everything to us. And preach the gospel. Remind yourself that you are so deeply loved, not because you did anything, but because of what Christ has done. And he purchased you. He owns you. And he loves you and cares for you. Submit yourself to him this morning. Amen.